Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's podcast series as myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, watch every match that Dave Meltzer's rated five stars or higher in his Wrestling Observer newsletter that we can find and give our own personal assessment of it later on with the gift, the benefit of hindsight. Um, Simon, we are continuing on with our 10-match New Japan Decalogue. We're into match number seven in that series so far. It's the one and only match involving these two mainstays and the top stars of the fourth generation of New Japan. What are we watching now? Uh, we're watching G1 25, the G1 Climax 25 final, rather, get my, get my words in the right order, between Shinsuke Nakamura and Hiroshi Tanahashi. The ace of the universe against the king of strong style. So we've seen both of these guys in in uh, individual matches, but theirs was the rivalry that defined New Japan during its uh, years of recovery, shall we put it that way? And I think you can see that in this match that there is a clear clashing of philosophies as as to styles of wrestling as well. As as Nakamura always called himself the king of strong style, upholding the New Japan tradition, whereas Tanahashi is more of an all around. Um, uh, Modern wrestler, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Yes. Um, more. I don't want to say technical because Nakamura is a very technical striker, but it's it's sort of striker versus wrestler mm. is the way I'd term it. Yeah. So this turns out to be the final match of their rivalry because six months down the uh, less than six months down the line, actually, Shinsuke Nakamura accepts an unexpected contract offer from the WWE. And heads over to NXT um, by March of the next year, having that match with Sami Zayn that you were live for, weren't you, Si? I I've seen, I saw that live. So beautiful. So to so give you pure. so to give you a uh, breakdown of sort of the history behind this rivalry, um, Shinsuke Nakamura, I've said before, came in during the time period where Antonio Inoki lost his mind and wanted to, even more so than usual. And wanted all of his wrestlers to prove pro wrestling superiority by taking part in legit fights. And Shin- Always going to end well, that. Yeah. And Shinsuke Nakamura actually had some MMA gifts and therefore was catapulted to the top of the promotion almost immediately. He was called the Supernova. He didn't have a Young Lions period. I think he debuted on the the January the 4th show of 2003. I might be wrong there. I might be a little bit off. But within the first calendar year that he was a wrestler, he won the IWGP heavyweight title. Jesus. Unheard of in New Japan. Whilst at the same time, Hiroshi Tanahashi was finally making his ascent into the higher tiers of the promotion because he had done the Young Lions stuff. He debuted as a Young Lion in October of 1999. So he's a a three-year pro or so at the point that Shinsuke Nakamura makes his debut. And has paid his dues in terms of doing the Young Lion phase. And it's, yeah, and it's not like Shinsuke Nakamura isn't a worthy guy in, in that regards anyway because he is an amazing talent and he was almost immediately. He was the supernova rookie, which was the name they had for him. Um, so 
they didn't actually, and so that's what's funny about some of these young Lions rivalries, and also that's one of the key points, I, my first note of the match was who was looking on and watching them and commentating on the match as it was going on, the leaders of the second generation of New Japan, two of the three Musketeers, Masahiro Chono and Kijimuto. It's, ah, oh, Chono is just like, I, I love his sunglasses. Like, well, Chono, he, let's go on, sorry. They're not as cool as he thinks they are, <laughs> but because he thinks they're that cool, they become that cool, if that makes sense. Like, you put those sunglasses on any other person, and it just looks like that dude sells insurance and he's on a golfing trip. But on Chono, it works. Well, it plays up an imagery that he's upholding based on the fact that Japanese wrestling has famously had links with the Yakuza right from the days of Ricky Dozan. And they would often be seen to be at a lot of the shows. And that apparently the, the favoured wrestler of the Yakuza who would go to wrestling events was Chono. So when he reinvented himself, he modelled a lot of his look on the Yakuza. And ah. he essentially presented himself when he was leader of the NWO as basically a, an, a Yakuza look. Which he carried through base, pretty much for the rest of his career with the all black look. And yeah. Everything. Okay. That's quite cool. Mm. So... They didn't actually wrestle each other. What was it? Sorry, no, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> they uh, so unlike most rivals like Chono and Muto, they didn't wrestle each other dozens and dozens of times as young lions. The very first time they faced each other, they had the main event, their January the fourth show. I don't think it was called Wrestle Kingdom at that point, but it was. But still, the main show of New Japan's year. Yes, yes, it was all, always their WrestleMania, basically, from that point. And it was for the IWGP, well, it was just named the IWGP for that match itself, U30 Openweight Championship, which was basically a Young Lions, like a step up from a Young Lions belt. It was for anyone under, under 30 could compete for it. And Tanahashi had owned that championship. Literally, he'd won it like a year and a bit before and had never lost it. He defended it against numerous people, including one American dragon, Brian Danielson. Ah, and he's facing off against the guy who'd already won the heavyweight title. This is their first singles match. They have faced off in like an elimination tag team match uh, in 2003 at the Tokyo Dome, and probably some other tag team matches. And then they'd formed a tag team. I think they might have been IWGP Tag Team Champions at this point, actually. So they're already being defined as this is the future of the promotion, and so let's just put them in the main event, even though it's not for the heavyweight title. Yeah, which we'll come back to as well on a, at a later point. And Shinsuke Nakamura won that match, and then essentially closed the U uh, thirty title. Uh, said it will not continue anymore. I think they brought it back, and then Tanashi won it back, and then they got rid of it again. I might be wrong there, but uh, Nakamura had a weird tendency of doing that around that time of sealing titles after he won them. But um, <laughs> Uh, so then they would just trade back and forth uh, wins over time, and eventually Shinsuke Nakamura would turn to the King of Strong Style and and basically inherit the uh, Chono role of the top heel of the promotion, or at least the mm. maybe not even heel, but you know he was the badass, he was the rebel role yeah. that had been held by guys like Chono and Choshu before them was sort of the role he took after that. And so they've had back and forth. They've, they've fought each other for the tit- the IWGP heavyweight title. Nakamura beat Tanahashi for that at the January the 4th show in 2008. 
so the two times I wrestled at, at Wrestle Kingdom, Nakamura won that. And he was basically holding an advantage over Tanahashi at, at times. I've got a note here. So at the end of 2009, so the end of the decade, they had a one-on-one record of Tanahashi with three wins, Nakamura with six wins, and one ah, okay. time limit draw. So definitely a massive advantage over the, the man styled as the ace. Yeah, and except for one match in February of 2006, every match they had against each other was either for a title or a G1 Climax match, which is, again, how New Japan likes to do things. They like to reserve them for special occasions. Yeah. Singles clashes. So then, but then coming to 2011, Tanahashi finally starts getting a, getting a, a roll on, and he wins four straight matches in a row against Ta- uh, Nakamura including finally beating him on the January the 4th show, uh, Wrestle Kingdom in 2004, for Nakamura's Intercontinental title, which Nakamura had taken to be his if that was Tanahashi held the heavyweight title. And then Nakamura lost to him again uh, in February of 2014 in the rematch, and then he won the New Japan Cup. And instead of, as it was tradition at the time, challenging for the IWGB heavyweight title, he said he wanted to challenge for the Intercontinental title. And then he finally beat Nakamura. Then, uh, and then he finally beat Tanahashi there. So they had a to record, get it back. Yeah. So they had a record of seven, seven, and one. And then at the G1 Climax in 2014, Tanahashi beat Nakamura. So going into this match, they've wrestled each other 16 times. Tanahashi's won eight. Nakamura's won seven, and they've had set a one-time limit draw. It's um, it's a really interesting match. From obviously me not having that prior knowledge, just from the way it's sort of presented. I I, I watched like the pre-match package beforehand, obviously in Japanese, so I didn't understand a word of it. So I was just going off like the visuals and the tone. Mm. Um, but it it conveyed a lot of what you said in like a short period. It's it's it, from a visual aspect, it was a good package because you could tell these two want to beat the other. It it. it, it they've gone through history and they had little clips of the past and you could see the improvement in production values and such from year to year to year. Um, and you could just tell that they, they, they're sort of intertwined. They're, they're destined to do this forever and they want to be the man who's better than the other man. Mm. It's not about like the fact, almost the, the fact that it's a G1 final is irrelevant to this match. It's the fact that they get to go I against each other one on one again. I would disagree with that. The G1 is more important than anything. It just happens to be, and this is the only time they fought each other in a G1 climax final. All other times mm. it had been either block matches or one was a semi final match to qualify um, mm. for the final. Uh, also, what's significant as well is that the winner will face what you would assume to be Okada for the IWGP heavyweight title. And Tanahashi's got previous, obviously. Yeah, although I think maybe at this point AJ Styles might be the IWGP heavyweight champion going into this one. I might be wrong there. But um, it's either him or Okada. Um, But yeah, and, uh, and Okada's in the same faction as Shinsuke Nakamura as well. Uh, they're both members of Chaos. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's it's so Tanahashi desperately needs to get back uh, into the the main event mix and and challenge for the IWGP Heavyweight Title at Wrestle Kingdom. So I think it maybe means more to him on that res- respect. Okay. Whereas Nakamura, it might be more about Tanahashi. 
But it's it's funny as well when they start off. They're, they're very they're very cagey. Uh, they almost this weird thing I would kind of compare it to is there's a gag in Futurama where two robots are sat opposite each other on a chess table, and one just and they haven't moved a chess piece, and one of them goes mate in 134 moves, <laughs> and the other robot well played. Ah, oh, you win again. It's like. You know, this is fifteen matches worth of build behind them, and they've always known each other as they've known each other as tag partners. They've known each other as eternal rivals. They've been each other for titles, and they've wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom main events. They know each other so well that it's almost pointless going at each other. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to swing hard uh, at the opening bell because the opponent's going to have a good roadmap to how to get round that. Almost. Yeah. So there's almost like, I like one move is like I'm going to do this, and then the other goes. It's like he's, he's like a slight move of the shoulder, and the other guy's like, well, then I would do this. And then the other guy's like, well, I would do this. And then I would do this. I see what you mean. <laughs> and they're just trying to get a read on each other. Very much like, you know, how like people like, like boxers go in for that like little look first round. That just a little bit of jabbing. Just try and see where the body language is at. Yeah, there's a mutual respect between the two. Even so far as their posing, when they do do poses, isn't even that extravagant in a way like when Tanahashi does his electric guitar pose on a Suzuki he's doing it to get to Suzuki's head and he's doing it to to you know show off yeah whereas he does like only one brief guitar air guitar thing when he's uh when they've sort of had a little standoff and similarly when Nakamura goes in to, uh, at one point he goes to do like it looks like he's gonna do like uh Ubushi did in the Wrestle Kingdom match he's gonna when he's got Nakamura in the corner, he's got his boots in against his face. It's like, oh, is he going to do a mockery of, Tanash, of Nakamura's pose? And he doesn't oh, yeah. do that. And, yeah, then, um, and then when Nakamura goes to do it, he hesitates doing it. Just because he like gets in his head a little bit. Um, I do like that little side cat with, oh, I'm not going to do it, but I could. It was there. I had the, I had the moment. I'm just going to let you know I could have done that. Yeah. Um, and also, like I said, you can see the fundamental philosophical differences between the two in that when when they go in, when they're having those exchanges, it's like I said, how when when Tanahashi's exchanging with Suzuki or Okada, they're traditionally doing mat wrestling moves. Whereas when we saw Nakamura going at it with Ibushi, it was more like an MMA standoff of of kicks in the in the distance and everything, you know, kicks at a distance and what have you. But what um what what uh what Nakamura does finally is that he gets kind of fed up of the mat wrestling, which is probably Tanahashi's. Put- you know, um, Tanahashi's strength. And so he starts throwing the kicks at Nakamura and eventually he's able to knock him to the outside and starts attacking him harder with kicks and knees. So again, you have that wrestling against striker. I can't hear you, Sai. Uh, so we've got that, that basic battle of philosophies, like I said. Yeah, I can hear you, Sai, but uh, I think there might be on the wrong setting on your microphone. It sounds like a lot of background noise. Yeah, it's dropped. Hang on. We're a very professional outfit. I think you're back. Yes. Yes. Yes? Yes? Yes. I'm assuming you're editing this down. <laughs> no. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Okay, Um, the point I was about to make before my technology so rudely interrupted me... Mm-hmm. Uh, was there is another reason that Nakamura 
really needs to get back into his game of striking quite so early. And that is the very visual uh, target on him, his um, heavily bandaged arm, which obviously Tanahashi is like a shark sensing blood. He well, can see it. Doesn't Tanahashi focus on his knee, though? He gets to the arm with it, <clears throat> I think, because it's the mind games. It's, oh, I, the arm's there. You think I'm going to go for the arm? Go for the knee mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Because I think that's why Nakamura is keen to not get engaged with the mat wrestling because, aside from the fact that he, he prefers striking, he has that natural target. Mm. But they do eventually start getting to each other and they do... I mean, like I said, Nakamura at one point does do... Looks like he's thinking of doing the kicks in the corner and Tanahashi picks him up and then goes... Picks up that boot and then hits the drop kicks the other knee. But then later on, Nakamura does get him in the corner and does his sort of frenzy movements. I can't remember what the, the thing's called. The WWE term is good vibrations. That's the one I've written down. I see. And um, so, yeah, Tanahashi... Like like we've seen in so many of these matches, I never realised kind of how... I don't know if it's just a coincidence that maybe these are the matches that Meltzer likes because he likes targeted limb work, but it is, again, going after the knees. Again, like with Suzuki, is because he's got so many... So much of what he does is based on martial arts kicks and knees and the Kinshasa, obviously, or the Bomaye as it's known in this match. Yeah. Uh, is Nakamura's key weapon... And so he wants to disable it. Well, it logically makes sense, doesn't it? And mm. I think that's his bread and butter, just immobilise the opponent so um, you can... Because um, you want to meet your opponent to not be able to move around quickly when you want to hit a high-fly flow to a standing opponent. Mm. And certainly you want an opponent to be grounded long enough if you're going for a grounded high-fly flow. So maybe that's the core psychology behind Tanahashi wanting to immobilize his opponent so readily rather than target other body parts which he has done in other matches but it's more when an opportunity has really presented itself mm. I think his default mode is as you say get the knees out from under them yeah and so it's it's again uh, I think again it's maybe one of those issues that we're watching these great matches but we watch them so close to each other that the similarities can almost make it feel dull or, or repetitive. And I guess it is repetitive, but it's like, maybe this is the only match that he does it in this style every six months, but it's just, it's the one that we notice. Yeah. So the formula seems quite similar as well. And another thing I wasn't ecstatic about is I thought the Bommier was overused in this match. Yeah. I get the argument that Nakamura's knees are, are troubling him, but... He does. I think he hits him with four separate bombayes during the match, and Tanahashi kicks out. Still, yeah. Um, I think one of them was like a semi-top rope one as well, like a super bombaye. Like second rope, I think. He does. Yeah, an elevated one. Um, when I was watching this match, the thing that struck me um, is I think it's the closest I've seen a New Japan match be to King's Road in a sense, where there was a lot of big moves that didn't affect people as much as they necessarily should have. I don't you know see if what I'd I mean? agree with that entirely, because I can't recall any pop-up no-selling. Yeah, this, like there, there were, yeah. The, like there were in, like, the, you know, some of the Ishii matches we've had so far. Yeah, no, it wasn't, like, a mirror image in that extent uh, where we did have the pop-ups in the Ishii, um... What's his name? Honda. Shibata. Oh, shit. Shibata. Shibata. Yeah. 
Shabbatta matches. Yeah. I'm hungry now. Um, but it just seems like, I guess because they were selling the effects, especially of Nakamura's mm. uh, legs, um, maybe that's one reason why there were so yeah. many finishes throughout. But also, it just seemed like the way when I say King's Road, in terms of the hands have let go and they're just throwing their haymakers at yeah. each other. If you see what I mean, that's. I do like there's a bit there's a moment where Nakamura does I guess a bit Kawada esque in that he crumbles as he tries to do an a forearm like they're having a forearm off. Then Tanahashi hits two European uppercuts and Nakamura tries to respond with a forearm, but as he's doing it, his knees give in under underneath him. Mm. Is that when he sort of plays possum? Pa- Is that the- yeah? Because then he surprises Tanahashi with some knees to the like he pulls Tanahashi down and then. <laughs> Hits those sort of those MMA broccoli yeah. knees to the head. So it's interesting. I have that as him playing possum. But I think I didn't think he was him playing possum. I think he was like a, a, desperation, a desperation burst of energy. That's yeah, how I interpreted it. No, I can see where you're coming from. Um, I, I guess I just know he has a bit of that shit houseery in him. Mm. Not not as much, of course, um, as the legendary shit house, but still, everyone else pales in comparison in terms of that sort of shit housery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a really cool bit as well, uh, another innovative spot towards the end when they're fighting in the corner. Uh, Tanahashi goes up, he's trying to do a move off the top rope and, and Nakamura meets him there and he's on the second, so obviously he's looking for a superplex. So Tanahashi then just does a high fly flow onto oh, yes. Nakamura on the second rope. Um, I like that, because it's just his brain going, well, he's there, do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then immediately, like, um, capitalise it, tries to capitalise with a, a dragon suplex as well. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to keep going with this, this. This, like, little tiny opening, I'm just going to keep forcing the issue. Well, yeah, he follows that up with a high fly flow to the back and then a high fly flow to the front. And that's enough for the three count. And in a ringside, Jay White is delighted. <laughs> uh, it's... Oh, I really did love the... Um the nature of this match because it started as like sort of first half chess match second half kitchen sink yeah uh, not in terms of pacing but in, oh, what do i say kitchen sink in terms of they're throwing absolutely everything at each other yeah so it's like like i said it's that rivalry so there is that combination of respect but also desperation to be better that's still that need to be the better man that's defined mm. them against each other for literally a decade at this point. And when I said um, in the pre-match promo that I felt it, the match, that, that issue was more important than the G1, I think that's the vibe I was tapping into. And you see a, a bit of this vibe in the match. Mm. Obvi- obviously, they're fighting for the prize, but it, it, it seems like more than just the it, prize to like, them. Obviously, it means more to Man United if they win an FA Cup match against Arsenal or Man City than it does if they beat, they go up against Hull. Fleetwood. Or, well, you're not going to play Fleetwood in a final, but you know what I mean. Or like a Hull or a, a, a West Ham. Watford. You know, or Watford, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it needs to be behind. both of them. It needs both elements to be important. Just like Just like how the first G1 climax at that venue, it wasn't just that it was... Chono against Muto, it was that it was them really at the early stages of them starting to become the defining rivalry of New Japan going into the 90s. 
Although they did then become tag team partners again in the late 90s when... Well, the great Muta joined the NWO, but Kiji Muto was still loyal to New Japan. (laughs) I love that stuff they do. Like, if you see... You know how when they do the IWGP heavyweight title match, they do, like, a a parade of champions visual, like, montage Mm. of all the previous champions. And they do have the great Muta, and then they have Kiji Muto. (laughs) Well, they're separate people. Well, that's, that's the way they go about it. Like, there was a time when, when Kijimuto invaded New Japan a few years earlier and won the IWGP title from Nakamura and then lost it at Wrestle Kingdom to Tanahashi. Um, that was after the Nakamura had won the second straight, the second of their Wrestle Kingdom main events. Um, he was the IWGP champion as uh, Kijimuto and the All Japan Triple Crown champion as the Great Muta. So he never went around with all four belts at the same time. Can you imagine if they, like, I know they never would have done it, but can you imagine if they did, like, a cross-promotion card and it was, like, champion versus champion and he just came out in half and half like pinned himself? Like Graham Linehan in that Monty Python sketch. Yes. Not Graham um, Graham Chapman. Oh, God, that was very down the other end of the spectrum. Or, oh, wow, all the un-PC thing of um, Roddy Piper half and... Yeah, well, let's yeah. not let's not dwell on that. Let's dwell on this match. Sai, would you give this match five stars? I would. I loved it. I <laughs> couldn't quite. I think I just prefer... I, I just prefer other versions of this match from both men. I preferred the Ibushi match to this, and I didn't give that five stars. Mm. Um, and I prefer the Suzuki match to this, and I gave that five yeah. stars. Yeah, I think... But I wouldn't. I wouldn't dispute someone else giving it five stars. Yeah, yeah. But I don't I just, know. The, the overuse of the bomb AA kind of bothered me as well. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite Tanahashi match, but it's a match I loved enough to give five stars to. If that makes sense. Yeah. The man's got a deep library. Uh, not nowhere near as deep as obviously some of the uh, as Misawa or anything yeah. like that. But he's starting to. He's very quickly building a library of matches yeah. I really love. Like I, I, and also I can get why they can get away with the four my A's in a way because Nakamura's knee is fucked as he's doing yep. it and also when he hits the third one he covers him but he's not like all over him he's like barely got an draped. arm over yeah he sort of yeah. draped on him so I get that but I just still it was one of the things that I just it was a bit too excessive to me yeah mind you I, I, I've I think there's matches you've given five stars to that I, fa- I found bits too excessive so I entirely mm. I, I get the viewpoint it's understandable Depends if we're in a binge or a purge mode, respectively, I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, Simon, what have we got for our next match as we continue our New Japanathon? We have got, ladies and gentlemen. Because it's a return most, most from gen- this match. It's the, it's the end point of winning the G1 Climax. Yes, it's the Wrestle Kingdom show following uh, 4th of January 2016 as... Hiroshi Tanahashi is the challenger challenging uh, Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Yes, and it's a match that both men have something they wish to claim. Tanahashi wants back his title. Okada wants the title of ace. And I think he wants... um, He wants to prove he can do it on the grand stage against Tanahashi as well. he wants to get Tanahashi back for making him cry. (laughs) <laughs> so, you made me cry 
<laughs> anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, and maybe give you some more New Japan Shinsuke Nakamura recommendations, because as of recording, this is the last Shinsuke Nakamura match to be given five stars. And given how he's been presented in today's WWE, it may very well be the last. <sighs> how can they get why'd you have to? Why would you have to bring me down just before <laughs> I, I do this? But maybe, so si, it's not the last time we talk about a Shinsuke Nakamura match. Oh, foreshadowing. Mm. Uh, people can get in touch with me uh, on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for, I think, the third Bumaye was the ele- semi-elevated one in this match. Okay. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for Nakamura. That's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram account. That's my Facebook. That's my letterbox. If you want to get in touch with me by email, put an at gmail.com at the end of it. Buy my ebook, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com and lmtyspod at, on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook page. One day Simon might actually make a post on it. But anyway. Uh, if people want to hear you talk about something other than wrestling, Lorcan, yeah, where can, can they hear that? You can podcast about uh, bad British films by going and looking up Best of Worst of British on wherever you get your, your uh, Apple podcast, wherever you get your podcast, be they from Apple Podcasts or elsewhere. Uh, you can also find us on uh, our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Pod. And if you're interested in the SoundCloud page for SoundCloud page for let me tell you something, it's soundcloud.com slash Lorcan dash Mullen. But there's nothing left to say at this point except my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.